Jesus. Amen. It is such a, you may be seated, it is such a delight and a privilege to be here with you and each and every one of you, of course, to uh, have the distinct honor of, of teaming up with such a great team. Brother Tony, appreciate him so much and his leadership at North American Missions. Brother Armstrong, such a joy to work with, his promotions, and just a great honor to be with them. And of course, to be with your great uh, leadership. And Brother Brother Blackshear, I, I was watching you up here and I was thinking, you know, I think it has been a few years ago since we teamed up at a camp meeting and uh, preached a youth camp together. But uh, uh, time flies when you're having fun. So uh, that's probably been two or three years, I think, at max, you know. So uh, nevertheless, uh, it, is, it is such a great privilege to be here, of course, Brother Parrish. Thank you so much for allowing us the privilege of being with you. And uh, we do anticipate great things. I do want to commend, and I know it will be said later, but uh, I, I, since I have the first opportunity to speak and address you, I do want to say how much we appreciate the great sacrifice of the Alaska District in your giving to Christmas for Christ this past year and for many years. And the very fact that, as was mentioned last night, you are number six among all the districts in their giving to Christmas for Christ. And that that is not just a small thing, but that is an incredibly large thing that shows how truly you may be small, in number, but you are large in stature. Amen. And uh, we appreciate the great giving. Of course, three of your churches being in the top 20 speaks very highly to the four of them. I'm sorry, four of them. Uh, in the top 20 speaks to uh, truly the, the great magnitude of, of the passion and desire to reach North America. We must reach North America. And uh, uh, we have a great call, and we must, must reach Alaska. In fact, Alaska today, if you had 70 churches of 100, you would only be reaching 1% of your population. And I believe there can be hundreds of churches all throughout Alaska. Amen. Amen. And I know you're going to hear over the next couple of days a series of teaching and preaching. Uh, uh, what do they call it uh, uh, when you preach and teach and put them together? You know, preach, you know, and so, no, it's whatever. But anyway, uh, it is such a, a great pr a privilege to be here. But I, I want to, uh, in the beginning session, I want to talk to you and give us some explanation as to sometimes the places that God puts us in are not exactly what we anticipate. And when we perceive where we think the blessings and the anointing and the will of God are not exactly where we believe maybe is where God intended us to be. In fact, many times it is exactly the place God intended us to be. And by that I'm talking about the hardships of life and the struggles and the difficulties that sometimes are thrown against us. And we say, why did the devil put us here? But many times I believe it's, the devil has nothing to do with putting us where we are, but all things work together for good to them that are called according to his purpose. So I want to pay attention today. Let's turn your attention to Exodus chapter 14, verse 1 and 2. 
And here we find that God is speaking to Moses and he is giving him clarity as to where to go once this mass exodus takes place. Exodus 14, 1 and 2, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel that they turn and encamp before Pyaroth. Anybody know where Pyaroth is? Well, it is between Migdal and the sea. Does that provide enough clarity? Okay, well, let me give you further explanation. It's over against Baiisphon. Now we know where it is. He said, before it, ye shall encamp by the sea. Aspa speaks and reads the story and in Psalm 77, describes his anguish when he looks at what God did and then the, the great uh, essence of what God did in Psalm 77, 19 and 20. And I didn't give you time to turn there, but I'll read it quickly. Thy way is in the sea, thy path in the great waters, and thy footsteps are not known. Thou leadest thy people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, I thank you for the great privilege of being here today. I thank you, Lord, for what you have accomplished so many times in our lives. God, I thank you for the sacrifices that have been made to be in this building. And I know that you answer by fire anytime sacrifice is given. And I pray, Lord, that you would touch and minister. Help us, Lord, to understand that in our hour today, we are perhaps where you want us to be or are leading us to where you intend us to be. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. And you may be seated today. Have you ever been set up? If you happen to have a McDonald's, and I don't know, some do, some don't in this era, and this area, but yet, you know, and I don't know if they ever do the special menu, but you know, it's, it's just that moment that, you know, you infrequent McDonald's, whatever, but you know, you walk in and you're in the drive-thru or something and they say something to the tune of, would you like an apple pie with that? And then they say something like, well, it's two for whatever the cost would be here. And sometimes that cost is as cheap as just one of the apple pies. And then you think, you know, you drive away and you don't even really like apple pies. In fact, you don't even like McDonald's. But you drive away thinking, why did I buy this? Because it was a good deal. And I know where I'm at, and I understand that most of you, you know, are capable of doing much greater things with your hands than I am. And I, I'm not a mechanic, and so I'm the guy that has to go get somebody to change my oil. I wish, I mean, I know if that makes me less than a man, I apologize for that. But it's just the reality in which I lived. And, and so, you know, that frustration. And has anybody ever gone somewhere to get your oil changed? Do they not always walk in with the air filter? For only $59.95 plus installation. 
In other words, $387.28. We're going to give you a deal. Your car needs this or that. And you walk away saying, I've been set up. And yet we, we talk of being set up as a bad thing because quite frankly, most of the time it is unless you were set up with your wife and it, that of course was not a bad thing. But yet when we consider this word called set up, we many times think of it as at a negative context or negative circumstance. And yet I want to speak to you just for a little while on a simple subject. When God sets you up. Not in a bad way. It may seem like it's bad at the moment, but when God sets you up, it will always be for your good. Just consider the very essence of the fact that the wind blew and the earth did split. The waters passed and became towering walls and the Israelites passed through on dry shod, not for entertaining purposes, not simply for a great entertaining day, but no, it was so that God would prove himself to them and would in essence make a way where there seemed to be no way because you see God is considered and is considerate of you and understands where you're at I'm talking to some people today you're in situations and you think there is no hope and no way out and no deliverance but God will always make a way where there is no way God has always said, you go to that impossible place where you cannot get out and I will prove to you what I am capable of doing. Sometimes life can be out of control. It's like the young mother who lay awake at night clutching an old t-shirt of her son's knowing her son was confronting death in some far off country and place. For you see her son was a marine assigned to spec ops and her motherly instincts told her when he was in harm's way. She was praying the night he swam 10 miles from a sub and from in some far off coast of a hostile country. She was praying the night when he parachuted behind enemy lines with him a high altitude jump. In fact, she was even praying the night that he, through enemy, the hail of enemy fire and through eyes blinded by tears, ran through it to retrieve the body of a fallen friend. In fact, she was even praying the night that her son had a terrorist stick a gun to his head and pulled the trigger. Perhaps it was her prayers that caused that gun to jam and give her son that split-second moment in order to resolve the situation. She prayed through those nocturnal tears and torments. When he finally came home, she continued to pray through the transition, trying not to remember what he could not forget. But life, like us and like her, many times were dealt with circumstances. Prolonged struggle. Tra- 
Trials, struggles, hurt, afraid, facing impossible odds, walking down dark valleys, not knowing. Oh, can I tell you, sometimes just beyond our control is a phone call, a card in the mail, a knock at the door that sends us on an edge of reality. We fall into a world of worry and fear and concern. But can I tell you, one man said it like this, worry really is is putting a question mark where God has already put a period that another man said worry is the form of atheism for it betrays our lack of faith and trust in God. The Bible refers to us like sheep and as sheep they bolt in the middle of a moment's notice because of fear but God wants us to understand today that in reality the psalmist said yea though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death I will fear no evil you can say how can I not worry my finances are a wreck how can I not worry young pastor that all this chaos is happening I need a building I need this I need that I don't know the answer we're getting where the rent is going up I'm not sure what's going to take place tomorrow this family is moving this is taking place it's beyond my control but can I tell you that the truth is how can you not worry when the Red Sea is in front of you and the armies of Israel are behind you It was a setup. He said, Go, go to that place. You know, I always read the scripture, and for many years I, I believe that, you know, as, as we consider this idea of Moses leading the children of Israel out of Egypt, and then, of course, them fleeing now knowing that Pharaoh is hot on their trail, and then they just, just by chance show up at the Red Sea, and in the, just by chance the very essence is that on one side is a mountain, on the other side is another mountain, and the Red Sea is in front of them. Now Pharaoh's army is behind them, but it's not until you read in Exodus as we read just moments ago, you find out that God had put them exactly where they were. What God said is you go to the cul-de-sac where there is going to be a trap and it is going to affect you forever. Oh, in that story of the Red Sea, the Israelites followed that cloud by day and that fire by night carefully, fully anticipating the great essence of what God had accomplished in their lives. And yet God leads them to a cul-de-sac. But God said, you go to that impossible place. He sometimes leads us into hardship because it's important to understand the same God that will lead us there is the same God that will lead us out of there. Your whole perspective changes when you recognize that God puts you where you're at. It should have been no great surprise to them that Pharaoh would pursue after them. Think of what would have happened. Think about, and I don't know, the Bible doesn't record exactly how uh, you know, all of this was portrayed, but think about how it must have happened the next morning. 
Pharaoh gets up and says, Give me something to drink. He waits about five minutes. Get me something to drink. It's quiet. Nobody's moving. The soldier against the wall, he says, Soldier, why is no one? Of course, soldier has to kind of carefully use his words. Um, Sir, those, those slaves that you used to have, you remember that you let them go yesterday. Oh yes, you you then you get me a drink. Ten minutes goes by, soldier's not back. Finally, the soldier kind of cowardly enters the throne room. What, sir, sir, sir? There's a problem. What? Well, um, that gold cup you used to have. Yeah, uh, apparently somebody loaned it to those guys that just left. <laughs> well, give me something to eat. Five minutes later, uh, here's the grapes, but uh, don't have a plate to put them on. Why? Well, it's part of that stuff you used to have. What do you mean I used to have? Well, there's a problem. You see, somebody in your household loaned all your stuff to them. Oh, you don't think that happened? The Bible said right before they left, they were told, you go borrow everything you can. Anybody got a hundred dollars I can borrow? I mean, immaterial to the fact I'm leaving in just a few days. Oh, come on, a watch? Anything? Why don't I have any takers? Because you know I'm leaving. But something happened. I believe that story happened repeatedly all throughout Egypt. Somebody said, where's that heirloom? That gold? You, you say, well, oh, come on now. Are you really sure that happened? Oh, I'm absolutely a thousand percent sure that happened. Because a bunch of slaves got in the middle of the wilderness. And God said, I want you to make a tabernacle. And I want you to place it among them. They said, how are we going to do it? The Lord said, I want you to take an offering from among them. How could God take up an offering from among them? And how could they do it if they didn't have it? But the Bible said at that offering, it was really the greatest offering in the history of mankind. As the Bible said, it came back and said, we have more than enough. When have you heard that? That had to have been the greatest offering of mankind. But they got gold. How do you think they made the calf? How do you think they had possessions? 
You see, what God did in that moment, while they thought they were slaves for 400 years, what they didn't know is God will not remain in debt to anyone. And so while the generations of Israel created the wealth of Egypt, the most wealthy nation of the then known world, while Israel connected and created the wealth, God said, you thought you were slaves, but I'm going to march you out of there with the entire wealth that you've created. I'm talking to somebody. You think you've been on the backside of the mountain way too long knowing nothing's happening. And I'm not talking about it physically. I'm talking about proverbially. You feel like you've been forgotten. No one knows where you're at. You've just been sowing. You've been doing everything you know to do. And nothing's working. Nothing's happening. But can I tell you, God will not be in debt to anyone. There will be a moment. There will be a day. You're in the middle of a setup. So should it have been any great surprise that Pharaoh goes, wait a minute. We need to go get our stuff back. We need to get our stuff back. How do we get it back? Well, let's go get it back. And they began to pursue after them. It was no surprise to God. What God was doing in that moment was really the greatest miracle that Israel was ever going to experience up to that point. He was going to give them a deliverance unlike anything they could have portrayed or even dreamed up themselves because what their setup may have intended and felt like. They got there and said, Moses, you have brought us here to die. You've set us up. We were better off where we were. Well, come on, anybody ever said that before? I was better off before I started this evangelistic effort. And all chaos broke loose. I was better off before I answered the call of God in my life. I was better off before I did what God spoke. And God said, whoa, wait a minute. You're misunderstanding the setup. For the setup really has nothing to do. It's not about really setting you up. It's about setting the enemy up. Because what appeared to be a cul-de-sac to them, a place of no return, God said, hey, I'm going to do this. Why? Once and for all. You know, they were a bunch of fraidy cat with slave mentality. They were, their mentality was we're nothing but a bunch of slaves and we'll never be more. But what God was trying to give them an understanding was I just moved the wealth of one nation to your nation. I just... We 
But you better believe for the rest of their lives they would have been searching and wondering whether or not at some point Pharaoh was going to come get his stuff. And so what God had to do was once and for all finalize it and settle it and say, you know what, I'm going to open the Red Sea up. I'm going to provide a miraculous miracle here. I'm going to do the impossible. Oh, come on. These miracles are great. You know, I was, that great miracle of the Red Sea, that's a pretty incredible miracle, wasn't it? I had some guy the other, some time ago, I was teaching a Bible study too, and he said, oh, you know, I got to that Red Sea. He said, oh, that wasn't a Red Sea. That was a Reed Sea. I said, Reed Sea, what do you mean? He said, oh, he said it was only ankle deep water. I got to laughing. I said, ankle deep water? That's cool. He said, what do you mean? I'm just discrediting your whole theory. I said, well, I just let me look. Let me just tell you how I look at it. I believe it was the Red Sea. And I believe there were walls of water. And when they fell down, they drowned Pharaoh and his army. But you say it's ankle deep water. I said, you know, if it was ankle deep water, that makes the miracle even greater. The entire Egyptian army drowned in ankle deep water. There may be people trying to discredit the miraculous, the powerful, the supernatural. But can I tell you, the supernatural still works. The powerful move of God and the anointing of God still works. Your whole perception changes and perspective changes when you realize God led you where you are. Consider Joseph wanting to fulfill the divine dreams and was seized, stripped, sold as a slave and imprisoned in Egypt. That is a bad beginning of life. All he did was have a dream and tell somebody about it. Sometimes when God gives you a dream, you need to keep your mouth shut. Because somebody may be listening that you don't want to listen. You know, it looks like Joseph's life was nothing but a catastrophe. Chaos, the moment. I mean, you know, hey, he got a coat out of the whole deal, but lost it. Got thrown into a pit. Told he was going to be killed, but oh, you know what? Let's do him a favor. What are brothers for? Let's sell him into slavery. In other words, instead of ending his misery now, we're just going to make his life miserable. What's a brother for? Takes him to Potiphar's house. There at Potiphar's house, he rises to the top of the household. And he learns. But yet, 
things are going well. And then, oh, am I talking about life here? Am I talking about ministry here? Am I talking about things that are real in our own lives? Everything's, oh, wait a minute. Oh, no, that's too good. Falsely accused, thrown in prison. Wait, wait, wait a minute. That wasn't what I was anticipating. I mean, I, I was a good slave. Now you get to be a good prisoner. So he rises to the top of the prison and sits there for years thinking he's lost and forgotten. Moses, Moses caught between the splendor of Egyptian royalty and that thankless affliction with God's people. It's David being anointed king but pursued by the Israelite troops. It's, it's Hezekiah seeking revival, was trapped by the most powerful army of the then known earth, bent on literally annihilating God's people. It was the disciples sailing at his command in the middle of a night only to face a raging storm and filled chaos night. But can I tell you and remind you of 1 Peter 4.12, Beloved, Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. John 16, 33, we will have tribulation. But then there's that extra, be of good cheer. Cheer up. What? I mean, don't you hate it when somebody always has to one-up you? I just got back from a cruise. Cool. I just bought a boat. Good for you. But you talk about it. This is almost like... Here's the apostle, he's, he's one-upping because it's through the voice of the Spirit. God says, you know what, in the world you're going to have tribulation. Cheer up. Excuse me? Because God just kind of one-ups it all. And he, he could have said, I've overcome this, that, the other. He just said, I've overcome the world. You name it, I've already been there and done that. You, you feel like you're insignificant and nobody's going to help you. Oh, you feel like you're alone. But God said, oh, no, no, you're not alone. Cheer up. You're going to have tribulation and you're going to have trials. But you know what? I've overcome everything. I've already, I'm the author. I'm the finisher of your faith. I'm the one that's already been there. I know what you're going through. You see, you see, the first step is when you're there is to is is God as an understand that God has put us where we are and has allowed us to be where we are. To the child of God, there is no such thing as an accident. We are on appointed paths. You're there by God's appointment. You're there in his keeping. You're under his training for his. Time 
for Psalms 37, 23, and 24, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. I know some of you are saying, but what if it was my fault? What if I put myself, because you know what? There are people in this room that you have put yourself in circumstances that God did never intend for you. Through sin, unrighteousness, it puts us in places, bad decisions. But I believe through sincere and serious repentance, God can always route us back. Oh, there'll be, there'll be certain consequences that'll linger, but God can, can in His time make even that for our good. Some of you said, what does this have to do with church building? I believe it has everything to do with church building because once God puts us somewhere, I believe it's vital and important until God speaks. You just keep doing what you know to do and what God said in the beginning because I believe with all of my heart He is the author. He is the finisher. And it doesn't matter what stage you're in. God always gets the last word. Joseph told his brothers, they show up. He says, stop beating yourself up. In Genesis 45, 5, he says this. Now therefore, be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that you sold me hither. For God did send you before me. Before you, he sent me before you to preserve life. I think it's important that we recognize you better not get angry or at the people or things God uses to bring you to where you are. Gonna blame this, gonna blame that, gonna blame this. No, no. I am at a pointed path. God knows exactly where we are at every given moment of our lives. God knows and understands who you are and where you are. God has a distinct purpose and call. If God called you, he can equip you. If God can equip you, he can establish you. If God can establish you, he can bless you. Don't type, don't try to get around God's blessing. Don't try to get around God's anointing. Don't try to get around God's purpose and God's timing. I believe in this last hour we're going to see things that we've never seen before. We're going to experience things that no generation previously has ever seen. I believe we're going to see the miraculous. I believe we're going to see the marvelous. I believe we're going to see whole villages saved. I believe we're going to see... 
You say, I don't have room for my city. You let God take care of that. In one moment, he can change your whole perspective and circumstance. We had a North American missionary this past week. He said, I had been trying to get property. I'd been working. He was frustrated. He had tried to close on a piece of property that was pretty small, probably too small for them. But he was diligently trying, and he was going to pay, I believe, a couple hundred thousand dollars for that. And really, money probably they didn't have, I'm sure. But he said, I'd been working diligently trying to figure it out. But he said, just two weeks ago, we had chaos with closing, chaos with this, chaos with that. It all fell through I didn't know what but he said just this past week he said but today I was given the keys to a church that who's had died who simply had a handful of trustees and knew they needed to pass on the building to another nonprofit he said we just walked in to a bigger building not one dollar. He said, I've got cleaning supplies I didn't pay for. I've got a printer. I've got a setup. I've got chairs. I'm telling somebody, you may be in the middle of a setup, but God's setup is never for your demise. It's so that he can receive glory out of the process. Hallelujah. In Genesis chapter 50, Joseph said this to his brothers. He said, fear not. Chapter 50, verse 19, he said, and Joseph said to them, fear not. You're scared for your lives. But fear not, he says a powerful thing. He said, for I am in the place of God. It was intended. What he didn't realize, but I think it came to his knowledge at that moment was an understanding and revelation of where he had really been. For you see, the time he was sold into slavery was a process to get him where he needed to be. His brothers were used what he thought for evil, but God intended for good. And when he got to Potiphar's house, he felt like a lowly servant. But something happened in the time frame. He was in Potiphar's house. He didn't have the opportunity to attend the greatest schools of the era and time. But Joseph did have the opportunity to get a degree in finance and education through Pharaoh's house or through Potiphar's house. What he was doing the whole time he was at Potiphar's house was getting his MBA in business and administration. 
God said, I'm going to teach you the whole economic structure of this country. I'm going to teach you how to run finances. I'm going to teach you how to run a household so that one day you can run the financial structure of this entire country. And the only way you can get the education, I'm going to have to send you to what you feel like is a setup. I'm going to send you to where it's impossible, where there's no way out. But just about the time you get comfortable in that little world that you're living in, I'm going to take you and I'm going to hit the eject button. Ejected out of a place of safety and wealth. Now he's at the bottom again, feeling like he's at the pit. I am set up. prison something happens oh I'm sure there were some days I might as well eat worms and die in fact I would but I can't find a worm this stinks oh come on we've been there I mean you know and I'm sorry to say this but you know my wife's grandfather, Brother O.C. Crabtree, many, many years ago, I remember one thing, he, somebody asked him, uh, he became superintendent there in, in Florida, and, and after 35 years of pastoring, somebody said to him, they said, did you ever think about resigning? 35 years, Brother O.C. Crabtree and his just wonderful wit, he just looked at him and said, how many Monday mornings are there in 35 years? It's great, it's wonderful, and then it's not. It's great and wonderful. Yeah, I finally was doing great in Potiphar's house, but now falsely accused, thrown in prison. But you see, something was going to happen with Joseph he didn't understand. He got his MBA and he completed that task, but he needed something else to run this nation, and that was called leadership. Because the Bible says that in that prison... He began to rise in stature. And the Bible tells us that he became the leader of the prisoners. Now, what little I do know about leadership and prison together. I probably have to ask an Illinois governor to figure all that out. But anyway... But yet, leadership, if you can lead prisoners, I just have a feeling you could lead anybody. And so... The school of hard knocks through prison. It just is a process. He, but he begins to raise to the top. Oh, can I tell somebody? It's always going to go to the top if you'll just follow him and let the Lord direct your steps. 
Where he leads me, I will follow. Because Joseph looked at his brothers and said, Fear not, for I, me, I'm in the place of God. He went on. But as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good. To bring to pass as to this day to save much people alive. I'm talking to somebody you feel like you're in the middle of a trap. God has set you up, but it will be the demise of the enemy. It may very well be God just setting you up for your future. Because in that great scripture, Romans 8, 28, and we think. We hypothesize. We theorize. We hope. No. No. And we know that all, ah, just a few things that happened. Just the thing I planned. No, no. That all things. Is the will of God always done? I don't believe it is. I just blew somebody's mind here, but I don't believe it is. The will of God was done. The children of Israel would have walked from that place right into the promised land. But you got to have knuckleheads everywhere you go. And they get there. That great place of promise. And two guys say, let's do it. One of them says, let's go now. Why? Because he had tasted something. He knew there was something there that was precious. He knew what God had done in the flood. He knew what God had done through the miraculous deliverance of the Red Sea. We must go now. We are well able. But somebody said we're grasshoppers. We're not able. Come on, we've got to stop listening to the folks that say we are not able and start believing that we are not able, but He is able. Greater is He that is in me than He that is in the world. We are well able. And I'm almost finished, but you know what? I, I, I have to mention those two guys. You think the will of God was done when they all said we can't do it? And God had to send an entire generation to the wilderness to die? You know, the two people I would think has the greatest spirits in the Bible of forgiveness and not holding grudges would have to be 
Joshua and Caleb. Can you imagine being in the will of God, knowing the will of God? And because of people, that those two guys, I mean, you know, I, I, I can't say that there probably wasn't moments in that wilderness. They went up to somebody and said, you feeling okay? Kind of looked a little peaked. We start digging the hole. They probably had something in their tent, you know. X, there's another one. I mean, you can get all excited about you want about shoes not wearing out, but why? I'd rather be in the promised land making new ones. What am I doing here? I'm just waiting on the will of God. But you know what? In the process of it all, waiting for the will of God, there were two men that were going to walk through the promised land. I'm telling to somebody, I don't care what gets in your way. I don't care what seems like it's impossible. I don't care what seems like absolutely out of the possibility of God. It's time to remember there is only a couple of little things that separate impossible from possible. It's I'm. Uh-oh. I'm sometimes separate me from the possible and the impossible. We got to get I am out of the way. I'm out of the way. And start letting I am run the show. Because we know that all things work together for good. Would you stand with me right now? We are on. Go, God knows where you're at right now. God sees you may be in the middle of your setup, but oh, God's got something in store. Oh, I wonder today if we could just open this altar up today for somebody who'd like to say, you know what, I'm stepping out and I'm getting out of the way and I'm letting I am join the process. Oh, come on, that's it. Let fresh vision, let fresh anointing. Let fresh virtue. Come on, it's a setup. It's a setup. It's for His glory. It's for His name's sake.